0: Church, this is your first time here. You picked a great Sunday to be here. Father's Day is a great day to be in church. If this is like your 100th time, welcome back for the 100th time. Uh, Again, my name is Jameson Reynolds and I get the privilege of filling in for for Pastor Aaron Tiger today. And so I wanted to thank you guys. I wanted to thank Pastor Aaron for letting me be here. And, you know, I just wanted to to thank you guys as a church um, for letting Pastor Aaron have this time. Um, to, to step away and to refuel and to, to re-engage for, for ministry. I know being a pastor is one of the most demanding callings you can have on your life. And I'm sure after a year like this that we all walked through, um, I can't imagine being the senior pastor of a church going through a pandemic. And so I know he needed this time. So for, for me and for you guys as a church to give him that time, it's, it's truly inspiring. Um, some of you guys know me. Some of you guys don't know who I am at all. Um, for those of you that don't know me, Uh, My mom, Karen, is the program minister here, and I came to church here at like six years old and was from here until I was 18 years old and was a staff kid from from 8 to 18. And uh, it's weird, I've been in full-time ministry for over 15 years, but I've actually spent more time in this building than like any other church I've ever been in. And like if if you would have told 16-year-old me that there would be like a worship band up here playing modern worship songs, I'd be like, you're lying to me right now. I don't believe you. Uh, and so it's, it's crazy to see this. And it's, you know, I saw people in the last service that were Sunday school teachers. I see Sunday school teachers that I had. I see uh, people that I went to school with, people that were siblings of some of my friends. So it's, it's kind of crazy to be here. Um, I, I want to uh, introduce you to my family. Uh, that's my wife, Ashley, my oldest daughter, Annie, our middle daughter, Quinn, and our youngest, Elliot. Uh, we've been married for 13 years, and we've been in Tulsa for almost 11 years. I work at a church called Battle Creek Church and uh, I'm the lead worship pastor there and we've got six Tulsa campuses that I get to uh, hang out with all the other worship pastors and help direct our, our worship ministry and usually I'm Reuben I'm the setup guy I don't get to do this a lot and so I'm excited because they give me a lot they get a lot more time when you're the pastor they give you way more time than like the 20 minutes for the for the band so it's kind of cool so you guys are stuck with me for longer today um, and it's funny I, I told Reuben in between services uh, I was I was driving after after work on Tuesday, and I was driving home, and that song, the Father's House, came on. I was like, Oh, that song is so good. That'd be so perfect for Sunday, but I'm not gonna do what my pastor does and call me at the last minute, say, Hey, can you play that song, the Father's House? And so, but he did it anyways. Um, it's okay to laugh right there because that's a funny joke. Because uh, when I get that call, I'm like, You gotta be kidding me! But uh, it was funny. I said, I'm not gonna make you do that, Reuben. But it all worked out really well. Um, you guys are going through this, this uh, summer sermon series called uh, Testimonies of Courage and Pastor Aaron asked me to share a little bit of my story and again some of you may know my story um, and some of you might not but I want to I wanna start with just uh, some text to set up for today. Um, we're going to be in the New Living Translation in, in uh, 1 Samuel 17. New Living Translation, it's what I use on my phone. It's what our pastor preaches with. Uh, I feel like if Jesus was walking around today, he'd probably want to use the New Living Translation. Uh, again, that's a joke. You guys can laugh. We're going to, we're going to loosen up today. It's going to be a lot more fun. It's funny. There were some people that were like, yeah, I, uh, I watched it earlier. I watched the first service. I'm like, okay, I'm counting on you guys. You guys know where the jokes are. Be the ones to lead the way and laugh. Uh, but we'll jump into the scripture. 1 Samuel 17 verse 1. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socah and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Not totally sure I said those right, so just grace there. Uh, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over 9 feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze armor coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion but you are only servants of Paul choose one of the men to come down and fight me if he kills me then we will be your slaves but if i kill him you will be our slaves i defy the armies of israel today send me a man who will fight me when saul and the israelites heard this they were terrified and deeply shaken so if you're familiar with church at all you've probably heard the story the story of david and goliath maybe you haven't been to church but you've heard this analogy this idea of a david and goliath as a metaphor but i want to explore this through slightly maybe a different lens than you've heard before we see the major source of conflict in this story. You've got the Philistine army and you've got the Israelite army facing off each other in this valley. And the Philistine army and they're about to face off and they, they send down their champion, Goliath, this nine feet tall guy, which is crazy. It's hard for me to like really put that into context. We don't see a lot of nine feet people walking around. Um, and so I tried to like put it in my own context. And I live in Tulsa, but I'm from Oklahoma City, so I'm a Thunder fan. We got Thunder fans in the room, right? Yes, love the Thunder. Uh, we'll, we're praying that, that Sam does something great with them. But, you know, you think about Goliath, you think about this, this, this tall guy, and, and I hate to even say his name, but you think KD, this guy's seven foot tall. He's kind of like our Goliath. He's a traitor. He left us. He bailed on us. But if he was standing right next to me right now, he's seven foot tall. I'm like 6'1", six 6'2", six on a good day. He's a foot taller than me. I would look very short compared to KD, but Goliath is nine feet tall. And I'm, I'm, David might have been as tall as I am. So that's just perspective on, on the size difference. And just like if I was trying to go one-on-one with KD, I would not stand a chance. Um, and so David, it didn't look like he had a chance going against this nine-foot Goliath. The future of the battle didn't look good for the Israelite army. Now, this is kind of weird for some people talking about David and Goliath on Father's Day, but, but the whole idea is we have giants in our path. We have giants in front of us. And that, way, that may be where you find yourself today. You may have a giant in front of you. Um, I mean, for me, uh, I, I had that just like many of you did. And, and, you know, your giant may be today anxiety. Your giant may be depression. Your giant may be a job loss. You may be working at a job you just cannot stand. And you're, the thought of going in tomorrow is dreadful to you. Um, maybe you're facing the giant of infertility. Maybe you're facing the giant of the loss of a loved one. I know a lot of people lost a lot of people this last year, and, and you're struggling with dealing with that. But the truth of the matter is, is everyone in this room, every single person, you have, you've either faced a giant in your past, you are right in the middle of one right now, or, or one is right around the corner, and you don't know it yet. And so I believe the story of David and Goliath and what it looks like to face a giant, um, it, it's here forever. It's here for all of us. And I had uh, my own set of giants growing up, um, many of them pretty, pretty much normal for like any standard teenage kid. Um, But for me, one of my biggest giants growing up was without a father. Uh, I mean, I had this guy who I was biologically linked to, like I was technically related to him. But I didn't have the dad that showed you how to play catch or through the perfect spiral. I didn't have a dad that taught you how to shave or took you fishing. I didn't have a dad that, you know, taught you how to tie a tie or taught you how to drive. My mom taught me, taught me most of all those things, and she did a great job. Um, I'm very thankful for her, and, and I don't regret my childhood. I don't, I don't look back thinking I missed out on, on so many things. Honestly, I don't. That's the crazy thing about my story. Um, and people ask me all the time, well, what was it like growing up without a dad? And for me, I tell people it was like growing, out, growing up with like one arm. You know, if you, if you're, if you go your whole life born with that one arm, you just get used to doing things. You can tie your shoe with one arm. You could put a jacket on. You could do all this stuff with one arm. But for me, um, Father's Day was this one day that reminded me that I didn't have a dad And like the joke I made would be like for the one arm person, it's like if there's this weird holiday, like happy two arms day. You only have one arm. Just a reminder, everyone else has two, but you've got one. Have fun tying your shoes with one arm again. And I was just like, this is this is crazy. Um, But it was just me and my mom growing up. And and, uh, there was a time in my life when I was, you know, a tiny little baby. I had what was called my stepbrother. And that's that's just a whole crazy story to my mom's generosity and loving heart. Um, there was this, this young boy who had one, one parent who couldn't raise him and one parent who chose not to be a part of his life. And so my mom took in this boy for, for a time. And that was my stepbrother. But the rest of the time, it was, just, it was just me and my mom and my mom and me. And so, you know, many people in this room, Father's Day might be tough for you. Um, it, maybe you had a bad relationship with your dad. Maybe you didn't have any kind of relationship with your dad. Maybe you recently lost your dad. Or maybe you are a dad. And you have some regrets uh, on how you were as a father and and maybe your relationship with your kids is tough i I don't know what everybody's situation but father's day could be tough for you today and so i would just ask that right now that you would say a quick prayer asking god to begin the healing process in your life begin the healing process in your heart and that god could show you all the ways that he loves you like a father because he does he loves us like a father and you know similar to the story of david and goliath God knew David's situation. God knew my situation. He saw me and he knew what I was going through. God God was not surprised. He was not caught off guard by my story, just like he's not surprised or caught off guard by your story or what you're walking through. He knew the giant I was facing. He knew I didn't have a dad in my life. Um, He knew that I would need godly mentors in my life, men that I could look up to. You know, he placed soccer coaches. He placed youth pastors. He placed uh, the friends, the dads of, of my friends, he, he, you know, he plays Sunday school teachers, pe- men that, that played an important part in my life and, and helped me grow and helped me learn. And when I look back at my life, I, ex- I feel extremely blessed. Um, like I said, I don't feel like I missed out on anything. And I know that if it wasn't for some of these men, I'm People in this room, honestly, that stepped in and, and were mentors to me. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And so I, I would say that to encourage all, all, the, all the moms and the dads in this room that, that you have a role to play, whether you know it or not. You may be changing someone's life. You may be changing someone's future, and you might not even know it. And if I'm being totally honest today, uh, this is one of the hardest Father's Days that I've had in a while. Um, I had a really good friend in college, one of my best friends. His name's Brett. And his dad, Greg, uh, was one of those mentors to me. And he, uh, he passed away a couple weeks ago, unexpectedly. Um, you know, Greg knew that I didn't have a dad in my life. And my roommate in college, Chad, also grew up without a dad. And so, so Greg just took us in. He took us to OSU football games and basketball games. And, and he, he made us a part of his family. And he showed us what it was to be a dad. He showed us what it was to be a husband. And uh, he was the guy that I would text. On father's day and say hey greg i'm thankful for you um you're a great dad i I appreciate you i love you and he would say man i love you son i'm so thankful for you and so this is hard um but i'm thankful for people like him that i can remember and uh carry on his legacy and and i and I, i think he would be proud so again god saw me he knew my story he was not surprised by my story, and he sent people like that to help me out. Let's jump back into the text, verse 12. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. Now David was the youngest son. David's three older brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, I don't want you guys to miss that because I feel like I always miss that growing up. 40 days, 40 days, Goliath was going out and taunting the Israelite army. And we see that in Scripture all the time. We see 40 days Noah was on the ark. We see 40 days Jesus was in the desert. 40 days, 40 days he was out there taunting the Israelite army. And one day Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers, and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army at the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts. As Jesse had directed him, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was walking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man, one of his daughters, for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. This part of the story is kind of funny. I think David hears that. He's like, say what? (laughs) You get a wife and you don't have to pay taxes ever again? Uh, I don't know what the, like the tax brackets were back then, but like I, I, right now, you, you tell me to go fight somebody. I don't have to pay taxes ever again. I'm going to give it a try, you know. Uh, that sounds like a good idea, and, and you can see David's asking the soldiers in verse 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of his, the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some of the others and asked them the same thing. And he received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. So this is where it kind of gets a little different. You know, David, he's out here. We see, the, we see the story. Dad sent the youngest brother to go check on his big brothers and, and give him some supplies, see how they're doing. And little brother hears about this crazy reward about not having to pay taxes and getting a wife. And he's like uh, asking people, hey, is, is this really the thing? And then the big brother, he gets a little offended by this because like that's what happens with big brothers when little brother comes up and is, you know, Say, hey, I'll do what big brother's doing. And, and big brother says, come on, man. You're a punk kid. What are you, what are you even doing here? Go back and watch your sheep. Basically, the, the oldest brother was saying, stop making me look bad and, and stay in your lane, bro. You're out of your lane. Uh, but David wasn't having any of it. And this where, verse 32, it, it kind of honestly gets funny. David says this, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. Now, that's funny, you guys. There's this little kid who says, Hey, don't this guy who's been terrorizing you for 40 days, don't worry about it. I'll go fight him. Uh, you know, I know I, I know I just probably learned to shave a few weeks ago, but I can, I can go fight him. I've got it, Saul. Don't worry about it. I will go fight him. And so Saul reacts kind of like we would react. Verse 33, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Bet you didn't think you were going to hear that in church today. It's pretty cool. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. So Saul finally relents to this shepherd boy, David, to go fight this Philistine champion, Goliath. And we can see from this passage of scripture that David did not see, he didn't see what everyone else saw. Everyone else saw this little shepherd boy without any experience, without any training, and he's young, Everyone saw this lack of experience. Even his own brothers thought, man, you're just, you're just here to see what's going on. But David saw that God had been preparing him for this very moment his entire life. David had been fighting lions and bears as a shepherd. Like that was a normal thing for him to be doing. I mean, lions and bears. I don't know about you, but a part of me would rather try to fight a nine-foot guy than take on a lion or a bear. And it's funny because I think sometimes we we just kind of fly by that part of Scripture and ask how how in the world did he fight lions and bears? You know, it says he would hit him with a club, but I would imagine he fought the lions and bears probably the same way that he intended on fighting Goliath with a slingshot, like fight the bear from a long ways away, fight the lion from a long ways away. That would be the only reasonable way I would think to fight a lion or a bear, you know, hand to hand combat doesn't seem like a great idea. And this honestly made me think of like, does anybody watch The Office? You can raise your hand. There's no judgment in this room. I feel like that's a question Dwight Schrute would ask. Like, what's tougher? You know, Goliath, a lion, or a bear? Depends on the bear, black bear or grizzly bear. It's like, no, it does not depend. It's a bear. You're a human. Yeah, so it just seems like a crazy situation but where I kind of want to go a little different today is I want you to look at this we're going to look at this from a historical and a military context in these militaries you had the israelite and the philistines and they each had three branches of military you had the cavalry which were men on horses and chariots you had the infantry which were soldiers on the front line who fought in hand to hand combat at a close range and then you had the artillery which were these slingers or guys that would use a slingshot and later on that would move to archers those were the artillery and they could do a ton of damage from a long way. And what you kind of learn is these these three branches of militaries, it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors. They all kind of cancel each other out. That's what makes them equal because somebody in the infantry could defeat someone in the cavalry because you have this big, long spear. You can take someone off of a chariot. You can you can you can take a horse down, but somebody that's in the artillery, you can't hit those same guys on the horses and the chariots because they're moving too fast. But if you are in the artillery, you can take down one of those slow-moving infantry men. Because, you know, they all three kind of canceled each other out. They were an easier target. And so when you look at it, that context, you're like, okay, Goliath, infantry, hand-to-hand combat. You look at David, he's a slinger. Okay, he's an artillery. So if you're just looking at it from that, like, David's kind of got the upper hand, but nobody can really see it because everyone's telling David, go fight Goliath hand-to-hand. And David sees that, and no one else can see it. And, and it's, it's clear that that's how Saul saw it in the same way. Verse 38 says this, Then Saul gave, gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's bag Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. That had to be like a a nerve wracking walk. You're not even having any armor. You just picked up some rocks. But he was confident. Um, This is funny. What Saul did is, again, he tried to get David to fight Goliath, just like everybody else did. He tried. It would have surely ensured his defeat if he tries to fight this infantry man hand to hand. But that's not David. It's not what he had in mind. David knew what his true gifting was. David knew his story. He knew his experiences. He knew his unique gifts and talents and abilities that prepared him for what he was about to face. Let's jump back in verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. I just have to pause right there for a minute. Because I know all the dads, all the guys in the room got a little fired up. You didn't know you were going to hear this this battle speech from David. Um, Let's be honest, dads. It's Father's Day. Some of you guys wanted to sleep in. Some of you got drugged to church today. Some of you are already thinking about your tea time after church. Because that's what dads do on Father's Day, I guess. Uh, You didn't know you were going to get this awesome war speech And he says right there, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And what's crazy is that's literally exactly what David did. We jump into verse 48. As Goliath moved closer, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell down on the ground. That's cool. He brought five stones, and it only took one, and he nailed him right in the head. That's really cool. One stone directed to the forehead. He falls over, but it doesn't stop there. And this is the part, like I always forgot as a kid, and this is crucial to the story. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. But then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. So what happened? David did... He did exactly what he told Goliath he was going to do, and he did it with Goliath's own sword, no less. This very thing that set Goliath apart, this nine-foot guy, this, this big, huge sword that only he could wield, uh, apparently not, not so much. It's the thing that was his own downfall. David took his own sword, Goliath's swords, and cut off his head. And so oftentimes we see that in our lives. We, we see people and we put them on a pedestal and we think, man, they've got no weaknesses. They've only got strengths. Um, but that's not true. Um, Everyone has a story, and what's crazy is I believe the inverse can be true of us as well. The very thing that you may think have put you at a disadvantage in your life, God may be wanting to use that a part of your story. I'm going to say that again. The very thing you think may have put you at a disadvantage in your life, God may be wanting to use that part of your story to reach people for Christ. You say, well, why, why would God do that? And it's like very simple. Why wouldn't he? That makes sense, right? It says in Scripture that in our weakness, he is strong. And that's so important, guys. Because if he is strong and we're weak, we can't take any credit for it. It's got to be God. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's David. He's a little shepherd boy. He doesn't even have any armor on. And it has to be the Lord. The Lord was with him. And And he wants that to be true of our story as well. He doesn't want us to be able to take the credit. It has to be God. And so he will use your weakness. He will use my weakness as well to do his work and to lead people to Christ. So you're probably sitting, sitting there saying, well, that's good. David and Goliath, Father's Day, I I didn't expect that, whatever. What does this have to do with me? And I'd say, man, it has, it has everything to do with you. Just like David, you have a story. Just like David, you have unique gifts. You have unique talents. You have unique experiences that no one else has. Only you have them. God is preparing you to do his work. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in where we think we're lacking, where we think we don't have, where we think our shortcomings are, that we, we overlook the ways that God has equipped us. And like I said, he may be wanting to use that very thing that you think is, 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 your, is your greatest weakness as your greatest strength. So I've got a few notes that I'd love for you to take down. This first note right here is you have a story. Everyone in this room, you have a story. You may, you may think you don't, but you do. You have a story, and God wants to use your story. And I believe that many people, we, we so oftentimes believe the lie that the devil wants to tell us that we don't, we don't have a story and we couldn't be used by God. And I, I'm sure if my mom was sitting in here 30 years ago, and the Lord's calling her to full-time ministry, she's probably asking herself, God, there's no way. There's no way. I'm a single mom. You know, I don't, I don't have the schooling for this, Lord. How could, how could you use me? And she probably wouldn't believe God telling her, no, you don't understand. Hundreds and hundreds of kids are going to come through your church and through your ministry. They're going to give their lives to Christ. Those kids are going to get baptized. You're going to see kids called to full-time ministry. Those kids are going to have kids, and their kids are going to be baptized. You, you can't even see it because you're putting, you're putting God in a box. God wants to use you. He wants to use your gift. And it's crazy because you guys have been a part of this. You're a part of that story, seeing people... Um, come to Christ seeing kids say yes to Jesus for the first time. And you just have to be willing to, to use your gifts and use your story. So, that first point is you have a story. Uh, the second point, your story matters to God. So, you have a story, your story matters to God. Luke chapter 12 tells us this What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs in your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Now that, that, that scripture can be, can be hard for us to reconcile at times. Because you have the God of the universe, the God who created everything. He holds it all together. He also wants to know us intimately. And it says that he, that he, knows, about, he knows about everything. He knows about the lilies of the field. And he can count the very hairs on your head. And I know for some of us guys like me, you're losing hair on your head. It's probably easier every year for God to start like counting the hairs on your head. But it's true. And the thing is, is that's not it's not really a problem for us to solve. It's a tension for us to manage. It's a tension we're going to have to walk into every single day. In the days that are hard, where we feel like we don't have a story, we're on the days where we feel like our story doesn't matter to God, we can go to the truth of Scripture, Luke chapter 12, where it says, God. God knows you. He knows the hair on your head. Don't be afraid. You are more valuable than a whole flock of sparrows. Our third point is this. You have a unique calling on your life. So you have, a, you, you have a story. Your story matters to God, and you have a unique calling on your life. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. I love this scripture. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested... Your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing." Now, if I'm being honest, there probably weren't a lot of times where I thought about not having a dad growing up where I thought, this is joyful. I'm going to count this all joy. Um, Probably not many times at all. But there became a point in my life where I began to surrender that area of my life, and I said, God, if you want to use this, and if you want to use me, I'm not going to let this hold me back anymore so I began to share my story. I began to talk about my story and I began to share it without shame because I didn't I didn't have anything to be ashamed of. And as it turns out there were a lot of people like me that could relate to my story and that I could use to minister to. And the other thing is is when I stopped saying no, saying my no for God is is he didn't let that part of the story define me. He didn't let not having a dad define me. He didn't let it limit me. And it's crazy because if you look at you know, the odds being stacked against you and overcoming statistics. That was a part of my story. Um, if you look at the graduation rate for like high school and college of like young males that are gro- have, have two parents in the home versus one parent. If you look at, you know, the statistics of young males who commit crimes, how many of them have one parent in the home or none or, or how many of them don't have a dad present? That was that was part of my story. And I'm sure I had parents uh, of my friends who are grown up are like, you're, you're hanging out with that kid without a dad? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I'm sure they probably thought that. Because, I mean, I've got kids. I've got three girls right now. And, I, I mean, I think about who they hang out with and what their parents are like and what their home life situation is. Um, but I don't say that to say, man, look how awesome it is. Look how awesome I am. Look what I overcome. I don't, I don't say that at all. God, I say that to say, look at God. God, God used me, an imperfect person, to, to do his work. And he's still using me to this day. So you have a story. Your story matters to God. You have a unique calling in your life. So don't let the the giant standing in front of you or the giant you've already defeated stop you from walking in your calling. Just like David, God may want to use the very thing you think is your weakness to reach people for Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here and we're going to say a prayer together. It's kind of a declaration prayer asking God to be with us asking God to walk with us. So if everyone in the room right now, if you could bow your heads, if you could close your eyes as we begin to pray. And like I said, we're all facing a giant. Either we face the giant, there's one in our path right now, or there's one right around the corner. And so we're going to pray for that. Like I said, maybe your giant is anxiety or depression or job loss or a job you can't stand. Maybe Maybe you're facing infertility. Maybe you're mourning the loss of a loved one. Just take a second and just ask God to help you see this giant in your path, and then we'll pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 830 and 1050 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.